Okay, can you hear me? Yes. Okay, thanks, Audrey. My name is Audrey M. Wilkin, W-I-L-K-E-N, and I'll be 90 in April. Got it. And and you're and where do you live now? I live in Waiting River. Gotcha, gotcha. What what would you call you and your husband uh, racially or ethnically? Were you what what what's we your white. nationality? I mean, white. he's German. I was Irish, but I grew up in the city. This is Audrey Wilkin on the phone a couple days after Newsday ran her letter to the editor in the paper. The letter was about our series on real estate discrimination, and I called her up to ask her more about living on Long Island. She called it segregated, something she wasn't used to when she moved out from the city decades ago. First job was a messenger for I don't know how many years. I went, I covered the entire city for the Selenese Corporation. My father was an executive there. I started at 15. To Hmm. me, it didn't matter. White, green, yellow, it didn't matter. You just delivered what you had to deliver, mostly messages. And everybody got along. Then she moved out to Long Island, and people were more separate. I'm Mark Chisano, and this is episode four of Newsday and Levittown. The Newsday series Long Island Divided and this podcast got into some of the reasons for the separate living that Audrey Wilkin was describing. That includes the convincing evidence of real estate agents treating people of different races differently, and also the old history of Levittown leases and Newsday's missed opportunity in being slow to confront those bigoted leases. But one thing we wanted to talk more about on this podcast was how embedded this concept of separate living is today, and how it's sometimes not even clear until we talk about it. Wilkin told a story about her life that's relevant here. I live in, not a community, but just a little group of houses, one way in, and no gates or anything like that. It's just a bunch of houses built. Mm-hmm. And we're the, about the third house going down. So everybody passes my house to go in to go to the other streets. I found out the other day we have one black woman moved in, one family. Nicest little boy. No, he's not a small boy. He's a big boy. And believe it or not, I wanted to ask. I'm at my age. I can't take my dog out anymore. I let her out in the yard. I can't walk her anymore, and she needs it. And I was going to ask her, since he's the last teenager that I see around here. We don't see many teenagers. We did have a lot. Most of them all grew up. Mm-hmm. Now we see babies. And I was going to ask her if I could pay her to her son to walk my dog. And then I had to stop and think about it. I mean, if I was in the city and I did that younger, I wouldn't have thought anything about it. But then I had to stop and think, this is a black woman. Does she think I'm putting her down to say, you want to walk my dog? Normally, you shouldn't have to think about that. What's funny about this is that Wilkin didn't exactly seem like a shrinking violet over the phone, the type of person who felt uncomfortable even talking to someone of a different race. She made a joke about how every time one of her daughters got married, she'd go back to work to pay for the wedding. And then there's her old work running around as a messenger. But here on Long Island, people sometimes get into silos. And so you get these missed opportunities for connection or even conversation like with the woman and her son, who might have helped Audrey Wilkin walk her dog. I haven't spoken to her yet. I see her go by, and she looks at me, and I was going to go over two or three times and say, but I notice she walks faster, so I don't know whether she thinks I'm against her or what. But, uh, you know, I shouldn't be laughing about it. It's not funny. No, that's interesting. So, I mean, you think that, so you you feel uncomfortable, you know, asking her because you're, you're concerned that it would, she would take it the wrong way or something? Is that what you mean? Yes, I did. I thought maybe she might. She could have been the mm-hmm. friendliest person in the world, but I didn't know, and I didn't want to go up to her 
and see. And right around the corner, two blocks down. This was one of the responses we got to the real estate series. There was a political response, too. So I want to thank everyone uh, for being here today. I think uh, by now, um, most of us have uh, seen this report, uh, uh, have read it, and I've read it completely when it came out online. Uh, And for anybody who uh, has read this uh, and is from this region and who cares about uh, Long Island, they know that uh, what is in here is unacceptable and disturbing. Uh, That is what um, I was thinking while I was reading this report. That's Steve Ballone, Suffolk County executive. He was one of the officials who promised things like investigations, hearings, better oversight regarding real estate discrimination. But then there were the personal responses and stories about discrimination from people who left messages on our phones. This is Audrey Robinson from Port Washington. She's black talking about the security guard following her when she was entering the complex where she lives. This happened about four years ago. He comes running out of the booth, because the booth is near the clubhouse. And he was, so then she, oh, one of the neighbors passed, he said, oh, you live here? I said, yes, I do. So then um, I um, called the receptionist, at the, you know, when I got to my apartment. So I said, um, you know, that you don't talk to people that way, and what you know. But so it's he he got he got reprimanded about it. They, I gather they didn't tell him that they had a black resident. Obviously, because this is a daily newspaper, we also had lots of people write or call in with criticism about the investigation. What was the point? What did we learn from all this? What a shock! Long Island segregated. Then there was this argument, which said, don't rock the boat, it'll get better with time. Here's reader Vincent Cristiano from Ronkonkoma. And so I, I think from that perspective, we're going to see not a revolution, but an evolution that would actually ultimately lead to more racial harmony. And, and I think, you know, we're heading in that direction now. And, you know, when, when things polarize people, it kind of, you know, sets it back a little bit. But, um, you know, I, I think that we are seeing improvements right now. And but I don't have a, I don't have any single solution that's going to fix it. You know, sometimes right. just uh, more people trying to be colorblind. Um, you know, and you know, and and maybe a, maybe a reduction of crime in, in certain areas if we could see that. One phrase Cristiano said there really struck me: evolution, not revolution, because it's exactly what Newsday's editorial board was saying back in the '40s. It was essentially the editorial board's whole argument for why people protesting Bill Leverett's discriminatory practices in early Levittown should just relax. America's about evolution. This evolution argument kind of goes with another one we heard in our letters, that people tend to just prefer to live with their own kind. We actually had one reader who was reacting to that kind of tribal argument, a woman named Mary Garrison Dennis from Central Islip. She had come north with her family from Virginia when she was eight, and it was here that she encountered prejudice as someone who was black. You know, I never heard, no one had ever called me the N-word before until I was walking down my street, you know, once we moved to New York. So it was, yeah, you know, it was a big change. We ran a letter to the editor by Mary talking about her experience, and when I called her to follow up on it, she started talking about one of the other letters that had appeared on the same page. 
one person said something like, what's the big deal? Uh, you should steer people to live with their own kind. And my immediate thought to that was, I'm part of the human kind. Letters to the editor are at the heart of this podcast and at the heart of Newsday's stance on Levittown discrimination back in the 40s. It was actually a letter writer who pointed out the discrimination in Levittown directly to the editorial board. Unfortunately, the editorial board didn't agree. In this case, though, we thought it would be interesting to take things a step further than the two opposing letters. To try to break down those silos a little bit, the ones that mean a 90-year-old white woman thinks twice about asking a black teenager to help out with walking her dog. So we called up that letter writer Mary was reacting to, a writer who was saying that, unfortunately, many people prefer to live with their own kind. We invited him to come to Newsday. And then we invited Mary to come to Newsday, too, so that she and the other letter writer could talk to each other here. This is your first time at Newsday? Yeah. So this was the day before Thanksgiving, and we reserved one of our conference rooms, and our producer Amanda was there, too, to get things started. And we had a little visitor as well, Mary's grandson. What's your name? Mateo. Mateo? Why Mateo? Why Mateo? Um, he's my grandson. His, his mom named him that because I believe in, in Italian it's God is love or something oh, really? along. Some, not God is love, but something along that. It's a nice name. What do you guys do for Thanksgiving? Um, people are gathering at my house. <laughs> oh, really? Are you doing the cooking? A lot of it, yeah. yeah. That's why she's got it right. Yeah, exactly. How about you? That yeah. sounds like my wife. Yeah. <laughs> so Mary and Keith are joking around a little, getting to know each other. And just to give you a sense of where we are, we're sitting in what's called the Long Beach Room near Newsday's entrance. Mateo is this really cute kid. He's spinning around on a desk chair and getting up to put his jacket very neatly in different places around the room. Every once in a while, his grandmother, Mary, will say, like, stop, stop, or be careful, please. So you might hear a little bit of that. Keith and Mary are sitting next to each other. Mary's black and Keith is white. Mary came in with one of those big purses, whereas Keith is carrying a bunch of things in his hands, including the letter that he wrote and some notes that he took about it. And then we just started talking. Um, you want to go first, Keith? Sure, I'm Keith Ruffman. Um from Belmore and um, 59 59 okay um, Mary Garrison Dennis Central Islip and I'm 66 gotcha wow you look great <laughs> <laughs> thank you <laughs> and what about you Ted? you want to say your name how old are you five 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 that's more than four that's crazy um, and what are you drinking Mateo Plate milk chocolate milk nice alright sounds good um, and I'm Mark we talked a little about their lives. Uh, I grew up on the eastern shore of um, Virginia in um, Hare Valley, Virginia. Uh, my family moved to New York, East Patrick, when I was eight years old. Um, I, so I lived in East Patrick. Um, I um, went to South Country Central School District. Mary talked about being a phys ed teacher in wine dance and some of the sports she played. Keith said he grew up in Brooklyn moved out here after he got married, and was mostly retired these days. He'd had a packaging business. We live on the South Shore, so it's almost entirely white, as far as I know. And uh, when I say white, I include, like, South Asians. Okay. And uh, I uh, 
What does the house look like? Mobileware. It's uh, it's a it's a nice it's a splanch. It's on, you know, it's it's a nice house. A couple stories. It's a pretty standard house, yeah. you know. Yeah. It could be the same house in in Levittown or anywhere else. The the fact that it's on the water, so it makes it worth more worth. Although these days, the property values on the water have gone down. And then Keith kind of jumped right to the heart of the whole thing. There are different responses to the series. I mean, ideally, it would be an integrated neighborhood, but we don't. We live in the real world of not ideals, which goes to my point of the uh, letter I wrote, which is I think that uh, we can't legislate into integration. Mm-hmm. We can extend civil rights, which is what Newsday is trying. The point was that, you know, it's not going to, it's really just. Uh, for, uh, uh, for appearance purposes. Right, so and you're not sure if it's, it's not going to change, change attitudes because that same, because the homeowner doesn't have to sell mm-hmm. to anybody except who he wants to. Right. And, they're, and they are, you know, vulnerable to, to what their neighbors think. So they sort of talk about this for a bit, about what the legal system can do and what it's like to face discrimination. In 1979, 78, um, I was uh, trying to move out of my parents' home and into a place of my own, and um, I called around, and um, there was this one place in Medford, and I talked to the woman, and she said, yeah, 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 it sounds great, da 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was really excited, because this is going to be my first place living, you know, away from my, well, other than college, so I drove there, and... Um, I could see her face as soon as I got out of my car and knocked on the door. It's like, and it's rented. All right, thank wow. you very much. Wow. You know, what can I say? This is her home. Fine. And then again, in the 80s, I guess 1982 or so, my husband and I were looking to um, move from um, apartment complex in Bayshore to someplace else. And um, I talked to a realtor in Babylon and uh, well, I talked to a couple of realtors, leaving my name and what kinds, what kind of place I, we were looking for. Mm-hmm. And um, so this realtor called me and said, "Ah, oh, I think I've got the perfect place for you." Blah 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 blah. And I go, "Yeah, it sounds great." She says, "Come on down." I come down. I walk into the office and I see her do one of these, and I'm wow. thinking, "Well, that's it." She kind of scoffed, sort of. Um, yeah. yeah. And then she's like, "Oh, you know that place was just rented, but I have another place." And the other place was crap. I asked Keith if he had friends who had experienced things like this, if that experience was familiar to him. I lived in uh, East Meadow, and we were selling to, to Belmore, and a black family came to the house to look at it. And my neighbor across the street, who was my best friend at the time, said, you're not selling to them, are you? Wow. And he very quickly... Uh, was no longer my best friend. In fact, we weren't talking to one another and a few months later after I moved. And um, that has to be, that's, that, that's not the reaction of, of uh, most whites, and I have completely, uh, I live in that world, so I know that world. It's what Mary's describing is the world as it should be, not as it is. And uh, I think what we're discussing here is at a deeper level, you know, how blacks can overcome that attitude with, on, the, on their own because it's not going to change. White attitudes aren't going to change, so, so except very slowly. And then eventually, you know, the cosmic solution is we all become brown. 
The point about black people overcoming on their own was one Keith would return to, and we'll come back to it. That relationship you had with your friend, right, where that this was kind of a tipping point, and did it surprise you that he or she had that? Uh, yeah, I guess so. You know, Careful. It's to that a, extent, yeah. yeah. And, and what, what was your reaction? Like, did you say something? My reaction was in, in, in one of immediate hostility. Yeah, yeah. You know, I experienced that once before, racism with a, with a girl I went out with the second time and used the uh, N-word, and I, like, shivered and never saw that girl again. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Crazy. So, so it feels prevalent. I no. do not feel like I'm typical of, of white people at all. <laughs> what do you mean by that? I mean that there's a lot of prejudice and racism yeah. in our society. I see it all the time. Yeah, yeah. Um, about I see it at a visceral, at a instinctual level. I, I mean, I've been in a lot of locker rooms. Mm. Could I ask you a question? You're 59, so have you seen any, I don't know, any lessening of anything? I mean, are... You know, like you said, you know, behind closed doors, when no one else is around, or is there any, any kind of lessening of seeing people as people first and not their That's race? That's the problem, Mary. You know, the stereotyping and uh, the fact that people are scared of the other, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, not to get political, but we have a president who. Oh, on that basis. Don't, let's not even go there. <laughs> so, um, I, I, that's, that's my problem with the uh, thrust of the, uh, of the series, is that this is not going to solve anything. It's, it's one more civil rights. No, rise, legislation right? won't solve anything. I mean, we're in 2019, almost going into 2020, and if legislation solved anything, we wouldn't be having this conversation, because things would have changed by now. I mean, I mean look I at Long Island in, in the sense um, we can talk about a handful of communities that are truly integrated and where the schools are still, you know, very viable and you wouldn't mind sending your children there. We started talking more about schools, which was something they agreed on. The fact that schools in some areas are really good and some in other areas aren't, and how that often falls on racial lines. Keith said there should be more funding for underprivileged schools and that's what people should be focusing on. Then we started getting into something they disagreed about again. And, by the way, you can hear Mary talk to Matteo for a second in here, telling him to stop messing around. Keith is suggesting that the series was not talking about the right problem. The right problem would be something like the schools not being funded. The wrong problem is just focusing on neighborhoods and classrooms not being integrated. We're not talking about the right problem. Right, right, right. Okay, people don't need to live, blacks don't need to live with whites. They did just fine, Colin Powell did just fine growing up in Harlem in an all-black neighborhood. It's the taking responsibility and adopting the the majority culture and, and, and not seeing yourself as a victim, too. The only solution to this is within the black community, except in the long term, that we all become brown. Okay, I disagree with that. <laughs> um, I, I, um, first of all, I, I don't think blacks in general, I, or, or I, I can talk about myself specifically, I don't need to live around white people or any people. I, I want to live around people who have some like-mindedness of myself, and they're not all brown. 
Um, I think that the issue is I should be able to, and anybody who looks like me should be able to live wherever they want and can afford. So if I decide I like this house on the water because I like water, I have a boat, I want to da-da-da-da-da, I should be able to buy that house if I can afford it and if I like it. Why does it matter what color my skin is and why does it matter who else lives there? Um, I get very upset when um, people say uh, they're concerned about what their neighbors are going to say or whatever. Mm -hmm. Who are you inside? I know we all have to live in the real world with neighbors and stuff. But, you know, as a black woman, I've had to not think about what black people, other black people say about me because... As a high school student, I was in all honors classes, and all the kids in the class were white, and so those were the people they saw me with. As a grown-up, I typically find myself as a black woman in either an all-white situation or one of two. So, I'm sorry. Then they debated a little bit about what the point was of living in an integrated area. Keith asked if Mary would move to a sort of more expensive place, even if it was mostly white, or if she'd rather live in a similar type place that was more black. His point was that people gravitate to people who look like them. Mary said one complication was that black residents in white areas could still feel that they were different, and she talked about her son. My son recently was driving with friends to um, New Jersey, I believe. My son drives a BMW. He works hard. He deserves whatever he wants. I don't think it's a big deal. I don't care about cars. But he was driving a BMW. Uh, I guess it was three or four of them, all African Americans, and they they weren't doing anything wrong. But they were pulled over by the not the regular police, but I guess the drug drug DEA or something like that. Were pulled over, told to get out of the car. Their car was searched, and the guys were <laughs> they were expecting drugs and guns and whatever and. And my son uh, said, you know, I was quiet, I was calm, but he said I was really pissed because there was just no reason for that. The only reason they pulled us over because I was a black man driving a BMW and there were other black men in the car with me. And they figured, ah, this has got to be drugs. This has got to be something. I don't and think people understand how, how, what, what it does to a person when you're constantly, you know, um, White people tend to say, oh, it's not so bad. What is your problem? You had a black president. You've got this. You've got that. You've got that. Yeah, but you don't understand the, the little crappy stuff that we have to deal with. And with, with my son and other black men, it's not just little crappy stuff. You say the wrong thing or do the wrong thing. When you get pulled over, you're dead. You know? So it's, it's, it, it goes beyond housing and everything. It's, 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 a, it's at such a deep, deep level of society. Keith, what, what, I mean, what, do you, what do you think about that? I would love to see discussions like this all yeah. across the country because mm. Mary is an eloquent spokesperson <laughs> for white blacks' experience every day that whites can't, don't empathize with because they don't even hear about it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And is there, is there a forum, do you think, that... Uh, where this should happen, you know, like where... That's for you to figure yeah. out. <laughs> yeah, that's for you to figure out. Because, you know, it doesn't happen. Like, I appreciate the fact that, that you came and that you're talking and that you're listening, and I hope, you know, I'm listening to you also. And we're I, on the and same we're side of the issue. You know, I just, most 
most of the time there can't be Plus that I'm kind of a comment. <laughs> <laughs> Don't tell your wife that. Um, it's on tape. There's no, there's no conversation like this most of the time. So this was a nice moment, and maybe we should have just ended there. But in order to get to some specific suggestions, I asked Mary and Keith what they envision for a more ideal community. How would that look? And then we got back to that same sticking point about integration. Would people naturally seek it out or not? And how do we, or should we, get over those tribal feelings that Keith identified, the ones that keep people apart? I think I've mentioned this a couple of few times now, that we all just, you know, mix up and now we can't make those uh, distinctions based upon uh, race. Um, There's a lot of ingrained racism towards American blacks. I think a lot of it goes back to the 60s when there was a lot of crime in the 70s and 80s. And people are willing to believe it today because we're told the lie that uh, crime has never been worse, but it's never... Been, it's, it's at the lowest point in 50, 60 years. So mm-hmm. we, um, unfortunately, we, we're not, we, we, we need to deal in facts and we need to be, you know, aware of how we are all predisposed to believe, you know, what we've been told to believe. Oh, you cannot do that on the edge. <laughs> that's one of the, the, that's the problem of, you know, that Mary is experiencing. It's mm-hmm. because... You know, they just, uh, people are wary Mm -hmm. by nature. Yeah, I I believe that, that people are wary by nature. But I think you you have to live with, talk, talk with, and deal with people who are different in order to realize that there's more, that we have more in common than we don't have in common. And I think in America, that just doesn't happen. You know, every, it's... Yeah, I think it's very normal to be grovel and wanting to live with people who talk like you and look like you. But I also think that it's part of an openness to say, oh, you don't look like me, but what can I learn from you? Um, that, that part is lacking in so many people. And then Mary looks over at Mateo. Like, for instance, if he went to a, a preschool where they were all mixed up, mm-hmm. I mean, you, you name it, they were there. And they all played together, fought together, whatever together. And it was really funny when you would see the parents come pick them up. You know, some parents were wary, you know, even though their kids had been there all day with these kids. They, you know, barely spoke to anybody who didn't look like them, whereas other parents were, you know, whatever. And, and that's the problem. You know, these kids start at three, four, five, just seeing, yeah, yeah, he looks different than me. But... She looks different than me. We, we all look different. We all look different, you know? Um, and it's not a big deal. But as they get older, their parents, their grandparents, their uncles, their aunties, their older brothers and sisters say, oh, no, you... that No, no, no. Matea might be cute, but he's black. You don't, you know, after five, six years old, we don't do that anymore. We're not friends anymore. How silly is this? How crazy is this? We, we're never going to move forward until we decide that, you know what, I'm going to be the change. I'm going to st- I can't change anybody else, but I can start with me. Keith, you were going to jump in there for a second. What were you going to say? I'm sorry, we raised no, 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 not at all. But I mean, it's just, like, Mary's very intelligent. Too, too intelligent for her own good, living on Long Island. <laughs> Keith went on to say that racism was real and painful, but, and this was sort of the central disagreement between them, 
black residents should just plow through and not let it affect them. I asked him to talk more about that. Sorry, could I just ask, you you were saying, you know, the responsibility on one side to kind of not let this uh, this sort of bad stuff affect, you know, people um, who are black. Do you think that white people have a responsibility to do something because of this? Like, is there anything that, you know, that that should be done, can be done? What I think ought to be done and what will actually be done. Well, let's start with what you think should be done. Because that's what we, the, the, the central thesis of this all is that you can't ex- get what you want. You can't get that behavior out of white people. So what, how are you going to proceed from that initial starting point? Mm-hmm. And there you have to develop, cultiv- develop your own sense of self-worth and not make it dependent on whites. And, and then, you know, if you're going to encounter what you are frequently, uh, racism, then it just, you just brush it right off and, and don't let it affect you. Mm-hmm. Because you're, you shouldn't be affected by it because it's it's irrational. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And if you feel like whites think I'm stupider, then that's a problem that you have to cure inside yourself because it's not true. Then you have the facts wrong, and you're Ooh. letting yourself be victimized. <laughs> All right, we disagree. We well, disagree. So, so Mary, you what, disagree. Do we, what do we disagree about? We disagree. I I think there are whites, many. I know there who are. think. That. Blacks are stupid. And you that can't let inferior. that affect I, My point was you cannot okay. let yeah. that affect you. Well, you, well, you know, you, it's because you're, then you're making it your problem. It's not your problem. It's their problem. It's incorrect. Right, but it becomes our problem when we are trying to move forward in our lives and getting um, stopped before we can even, you know, you know, white women talk about the glass ceiling, <laughs> you know, for some black women and black men, they can't even get in the office door. And it's not because they don't have the talents, the skills, the blah, blahs, the blah, blah. It's because they get to a certain point and some superior says, you know, we've let this little houseboy go far enough now. We're not giving well, How about this? Because I'm on uncertain ground here. How about the argument that, well, you know, other ethnic groups have suffered discrimination in the past and they've plowed through? Mm-hmm. And we've plowed through. I mean, look, look at if you if if you look at um, history and, and if you look at where black people are and what they've come through, we have plowed through. We do plow through. Keith, what I'm saying is just a tough battle to just always be one, the one or the one or two who's always got to, you know, break through the ceiling, break through the crowd, and say, you know. You know, I was always told, you're different. No, I'm not different. There are plenty of educated women of color. You just haven't met them. <laughs> you know, that's the thing. You know, it's, I don't know. It's, it's um, we're, we're going to keep, we're going to keep pushing on as we always have. We started wrapping up. Keith had sort of valiantly suggested that he and his wife go out sometime with Mary and her husband. But Mary declined that because she said her husband was older, 72, and kind of set in his ways. Mateo says something like, he's 102. We did end on something they had agreed on, though, apart from Newsday's housing series, or the roots of discrimination on Long Island, apart from that higher-level stuff. They agreed that there should be more conversations about these subjects, and the school issue was key. Conversations have to start. How about starting with the idea that the the funding should all be equal for education? Ha! <laughs> and would you do that by? I mean, that not seems. But doesn't that seem like an overt form of 
racism? It, it is. It is. It is. It is. <laughs> and, and yet it's all tolerated because you're talking about people's kids. So when we're done, Keith gets up to leave and Mary starts putting on her coat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, guys. Thanks. All right, take care. Take care. Bye-bye. Mateo reaches up to get his grandma's attention. It was the second time he'd done this. But the first time, Mateo hadn't said anything. This time, he did. What did you want to say? You can still say it. It's not too late. I wanted to say, just when you meet someone. Look at him when you speak to him. Just when you say someone doesn't mean you know them. Just when you see someone doesn't mean you know them? Mm. That's interesting. Yeah. And how do you know them? How do you get to know someone? When you ask them what, what you're from and what your name is. So you have to talk, so you think you have to talk to people before you can know them? That makes sense. I'm the mouth of babies. <laughs> I know. Very good. Well, thank you. So you have my job in a couple of years, probably. <laughs> we'll take one. <laughs>